0: um so i'll just kick it off uh like i said my name is james davis i'm the owner of lab hand engineering solutions um and what we do is we actually do uh, product development in the sense of prototyping and um design fabrication and engineering uh i know that you do Uh, Y'all do product development, but more in the import-export sense, getting, connecting the people with ideas, with the manufacturers. And I was actually very interested in knowing more about how you all, how you guys do that. Um, Get my questions out of here.
1: Yeah. What, where should I start?
0: Yeah, well, first just start with telling a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this business.
1: Cool. Um, so yeah, my name is Rico Ngoma. Um from Toronto, Canada, but was I was originally born in Zambia, Southern Africa. And we moved to the States when I was super young and then eventually to Canada. And I was studying business admin management in, in Toronto and I was kind of figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life because my parents are both entrepreneurs and I, I didn't want to go down the nine to five route. So going down some YouTube blog, rabbit holes, I came across a YouTube channel called The Elevator Life. Now it's called Enter China. And there was just basically two dudes from the States, um, from Oregon, and they're relatively older than me, I guess a couple years older than me. And they'd moved to China immediately after college and started various businesses, import, export. They had a wine import company. Um, They'd had a couple successful Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, they had like 100 plus videos on their YouTube channel talking about, you know, their journey. And, and I consumed all of those videos in probably like a week or two. And by the end, I was like, you know, I'm, fuck it, I'm going to go. Am I allowed to swear? Right. By the end, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go to China. Um, I have nothing to lose as soon as I graduate. Like I'll save up some money over the summer. And Worst case scenario, um, I have to come back and get a job best case scenario, like, uh, I make it. So, so that was 2014, uh, September. I now came how, down to how China. How old
0: were you when this was going on? Cause I, I always, I saw, I see I watched some of your videos. and It was like 25 year old entrepreneur. And I was talking to one of my buddies and I was like, he couldn't, yeah. he couldn't have been too old when he was first learning this.
1: Yeah. So I was, when I came across that YouTube channel, I was 21 okay. and then, uh, I moved it when I was 22. Okay. So, I moved literally the year that I finished school. Um, I moved in the after working the summer full time to save up some money. I moved to China and I basically went to China on like a student visa. Um, so, the idea was that I was going to study Chinese while trying to start some sort of business. Um, but I also joined Enter China, had like a membership group. They still have it, but the structure has changed. I joined that as well, and I taught English for the first year that I was in China. And through the membership group, I got introduced to my business partner, China Mike, who had been sourcing in China since, I think, like 2009 or something like that. So he had a couple years experience, uh, not more than a couple of years experience. He had about four or five years experience sourcing. Um, and he was basically looking to like restart the company, and our company name is source to so he'd actually shut it down, he was focused on some other stuff, and yeah that's how we that's how we got started like um you know he wanted me to be the uh he wanted to be like a silent partner, and he wanted me to run the business so that was um that was early that was april may two thousand and fifteen, so you know just a little bit less than a year after I arrived in china Wow,
0: okay, awesome. No, I just think this is a very uh, interesting business that many people don't know about at all. Um, and that's one of the things that's got me uh, extremely interested in it. Uh, what is the average life cycle for a product? So if somebody comes to you, uh, comes to SourceFind Angel, excuse me, if someone comes to SourceFind Asia, what's the average life cycle
1: so it depends on the product. Um, so there's two main categories of product. And then there's like kind of a blend between the two. One is called OEM. So OEM is like white label, private label. You know, when you, the stuff that you see on Amazon, the most of the stuff that you see on Amazon, the sellers did not design that. They found a supplier, you know, who was making that product and basically bought it and put their, their company logo on the, the packaging, the product. Then there's ODM, which is original design. So That's exactly what it sounds like, where, you know, you have an idea and you take it from, and that's this is your field, obviously. Um, somebody comes to you with an idea and then you help them design it and, and create a prototype and then eventually you move into mass production. So, like, with the OEM stuff, I mean, it could be as simple as buying. And, like, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I need, um, you know, 500 milliliter water bottles and generic water bottles like i can get that in a day you know what i mean like it's that's it's really that simple but on average i would say two to three months including the research because we have a whole process that we go through when we're vetting suppliers then the production could be anywhere between like i said a day or it could be a month a month and a half and then shipping if you're doing an air shipment like 10 days or less, roughly 10 days, but, and C shipment could be three to four weeks. So two to three months for OEM, um, original design, uh, manufacturing. That's really, again, it depends really on how complicated the product is, but I would say at least a year, um, probably more like a year and a half from concept to design, to prototyping, to uh sample sampling like a sample run and then mass production sea shipments all that stuff it could be longer i've had clients that had projects that took two plus years um i think i mean a lot of those situations the clients came to me and had already been working on the project for six months or so or a year so a lot of the things that they did maybe took longer because they're doing it themselves um but on average like our original designs have been a year or a, a year and a half wow yeah it's it's a lot of it's it's a lot like people don't people underestimate how long it takes to to create a new a new product you know uh, from nothing because and the other aspect is it's like it's not you're not independent it's not like you just working by yourself it's you working with a designer working with um a a manufacturing consultant like myself working with a factory where you know i mean there's so many different different hands involved That the communication can be slow sometimes, Um, there can be a lot of miscommunication with language barrier with China and, and, you know, the the rest of the world and stuff. So that's, these are all the things that make it a little bit longer. But if you know what you're doing or if you can work with somebody that knows what what they're doing, then um, you can sort of expedite that process.
0: Wow. So did you have to, did you had? did you have to learn Chinese?
1: I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay. I, I, I say I've got survival Chinese. I think I could have, could have been not better. But I definitely, Chinese. I, I <laughs> uh, like, I can get around. Like, my business partner is extremely fluent. Um, I studied for, I studied for six, almost eight months. Um, so I, you know, I'm okay. But it, with Chinese, it's one of those things. Like, you gotta be practicing it a lot because you know everybody's got different accents and it's not a complicated language once you learn the basics. It's mm. just, you have to, there's a lot of vocabulary. There's a lot of words. You have to
0: learn. I see. Um, so in that product design, uh, so the original design path about, mm. I guess it still depends product by product basis, but like what's the range of how much it'll cost a uh, entrepreneur who has a product, what's the range of how much they could expect to spend?
1: So for the original design, yes, I can't speak on the design aspect because every designer charges is different, you know. Um,
0: well, I'm saying I just in the them. whole process, like they come, they come with, they come to you, and they have the designs and everything ready,
1: and they want to uh, get it manufactured. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I would say, from a manufacturing perspective, once you have your designs, do you have a prototype, or you're trying to get the prototype made? No. That's what uh, they have at. the prototype. So if they have the prototype and the prototype's ready, the factory would have to replicate that prototype. Um, I would say at minimum, you're looking at 30 plus thousand dollars, like at minimum. Okay. And, you know, that's because depending on the product, of course, you have to make a mold. Um, for people that don't know what a mold is, it's basically most of the time it's, in, it's a steel or iron cast that is in the shape of the product right and so so that you know they can replicate the the product as they're doing the mass production perfectly and that is very expensive just because of the amount of material and the time it takes to make those um you can obviously pay for cheaper molds but then the quality of your final product is going to be compromised Um, and then the prototypes as well prototypes can be really expensive um if you want a prototype that's exactly the same as your product and you have special materials, I'll give you an example. One of our clients right now is making a, it's like a, it's like a wallet that's made from like graphite. It's not a normal material for such a small product. Right. And I mean, their, their prototypes are, you know, one factory quoted as $2,000 for the prototype. And, you know, he was, he was surprised, but it was like, the reason is because this material is unusual for this product. And that means they have to go and buy that graphite. And then they have to, you know, kind of refine it to be able to make the, the, the product. And it's not, it's not a simple process, right? Like, so you know, you have to take that into consideration is if you have a special design, if you have a special material for your product that's not normal, that can also make it more expensive in the prototypic phase. And molds uh run you anywhere from three to four to five to ten, fifteen thousand dollars. And then the mass production is depending on how expensive your product is, usually the factories will be pretty They'll be flexible with the mass production quantity, but I would still say you're probably gonna spend, you know, thirty thousand dollars at minimum for your first production. Hmm.
0: Uh that's real that's uh, just real interesting. I think that's just good for my viewers to understand how big and how credible of a business this is and it's a lot of money mm-hmm. to be made, but also for on the entrepreneur side is a lot of investment that goes into it.
1: For sure. For sure. that's. I think that's a thing that I mean, I underestimated it the first time because when I first got to China, my idea was to launch my own product. And, and when I sat down with my business partner at the time, uh, at the time, he was just a friend. He, I was kind of telling him what my plans were. And then he just broke it down to me. like, Okay, so you're probably looking at X amount for this part. You're looking at X amount for this part of the product. Do you have, you know, funding for this? And I was like, nope. And he was like, you probably want to go back to the drawing board and and figure out if you can actually afford to make this product.
0: So now that brings me to my next question. What is, uh like, could you elaborate a little bit more on how the crowdfunding works or how getting funding works? Because I've I've been in this business for about a year, but maybe a year and a half. But like you say, it takes about a year to launch your first product. So the first prototype. Just a prototype I've been working on for one of my clients. I've been, I expect it to be done in four to five months. And lo and behold, it's taken a year and it's not easy. You know, I can't disclose what it is because NDAs, but it's not an easy thing to fabricate. Um, Are you
1: making the prototype in China as well?
0: No, I'm making the prototype myself. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's just Uh, that you've had to go through multiple iterations, right?
0: multiple iterations and it's just a really hard design to kind of con- a concept to create
1: yeah so i mean yeah that's normal i think that's one of the things is what people have to, to to realize is that the first prototype often isn't good enough um and you have to go back to the drawing board and communicate and, and fix and, and and work on it um constantly to to get it right um with regards to crowdfunding, I would say a good resource for that. I actually just interviewed this um, woman. I don't know when. When do you think this episode is going to come out? Uh, like the one that we're doing. Probably a few days. A few days. Okay, so by the oh, time get the most. so so it might be around when this episode comes out, or it might be you know uh, released a couple of days afterwards. But I interviewed this woman called uh, Nali. I'm not going la- to say her last name because I'll butcher it. But uh, she is based in the States and she works in crowdfunding. She's actually a crowdfunding consultant. Um, so she would be a great resource if anyone wants to listen to that uh, Media chatter podcast.
0: How? how cool. um, oh, I guess I'll just look, look back at your podcast. We can find her information.
1: Yeah, we release on Thursday. So it'll be next week, Thursday. Um, I can also send you um, her website and everything. Uh, oh yes, most definitely.
0: I, That'd be greatly appreciated.
1: See if I see if I remember it. Um let me let me see if I could just pull it up real quick.
0: But yeah, I wanted you to have on i wanted to have you while you looked at this, I want to have you on the podcast uh just because I was very excited to see another person of color in this field and doing it well, uh, relatively successful. Um, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, I honestly feel like it's just a little known industry and one that we are lucky to have the uh, knowledge about. My background is engineering. So, uh, a lot of people who don't have, are in engineering, they don't necessarily have the passion or the technical skills uh, and they don't actively practice them. And my yep. thing was, well, if I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually do what I've gone to school for and meld okay. it with my passion. Nice. Yeah, yeah no, I
1: know. Yeah, I was saying, I, I agree, man. Um, it's always good to see other people that look like you uh, in the field. I could probably count on one hand uh, the amount of black entrepreneurs that I met that were doing what I'm doing uh, when I was in China. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's good to see other people come into the space. Um, so yeah, the girl's name is Nalin Sopon. I hope I pronounced that correctly and her company is called Crush Crowdfunding so okay. she's a good resource for that. Um, second as well would be enter China. Like I mentioned, uh, their, their program currently is all about crowdfunding, but, uh, I mean, generally with the crowdfunding aspect, it depends on which uh, marketplace you're using. So the two main ones are Kickstarter and, and Indiegogo with Kickstarter, they have more requirements. So you definitely have to have a prototype in place to launch on kick, Kickstarter. And then with Indiegogo, you uh, you don't need to have a prototype. You can have like a realistic 3D render um, to launch your crowdfunding campaign. But I think what's really important is, I mean, I can't speak too much on the process. I can give a few tips here and there. Obviously you need to like um, build a fan base, have a good landing page, collect as many emails as possible, probably do some Facebook ads and, and uh, try to get people to, to commit to buying your product prior to launch in your campaign, and that's just the basics. Uh, and also, obviously, if you can get some people, if you can get some people to actually use your prototype and, and, and um, review it, and maybe get some influencers or or get featured on a on a popular blog related to the product, then I think that's that's the move. And it just takes a lot of time of sitting around, going to certain places where that the end user lives. So, for example, if you have if you're making athleisure and, you know, there's some popular, like, uh, a, a, what's, that, what's that popular website for body, I think it's bodybuilders.com. If you go to bodybuilders.com and then there's a thread about athleisure, maybe you want to jump in there and ask questions, create a dialogue and, and eventually maybe try to get some of those people to become, you know, fans of, of the product before it launches. But what's really important as well from a manufacturing standpoint is you have to have your supplier in place before launching your campaign and figure out what your pricing is going to be Um, mass. So so those are the basics in terms of, you know, getting your campaign to launch, but yeah, I mean, that's not my area of expertise, even though I work in that a lot. Um, My business partner has more experience there, but definitely check out Nalin and and EnterChina, Crush Crowdfunding and EnterChina for more information on that. But I would say uh, a big thing is, you gotta have your manufacturing in place prior to launching the campaign. Um, it's a huge mistake that that people make, is they they forget about how expensive and how long the manufacturing is gonna take place. So, like if you launch a campaign, you don't know how much your mass production costs or are. You don't know how much your final product is gonna cost. You might not raise enough money. Um, and you know, crowdfunding campaigns these days are very expensive. It's not it's not like it was before you have to spend a lot of money to actually get funded. So it's really important to know as much as possible, try to lock down, you know, your supplier, uh, try to know exactly what your per unit cost is, how many units you need to order from your supplier, what the minimum order quantity is. And then also figure out from the supplier, like, Hey, if I actually raise more money than I need, you know, is that going to change the cost? Is that going to change the lead time? And then add, I would say, add a buffer when you're promising the the backers. Um, if your supplier says it's going to take five months or four months to do the mass production or three months to do the mass production and then a month for shipping, I would actually maybe double that lead time or add an extra couple of months because there's always, again, with original design, there's always things that come up every single time. I think every... I've worked with a lot of people that have launched crowdfunding campaigns for the original design. And even though we had our supplier ready and we had a very good prototype, when we actually went into mass production, there were problems that come up that we just couldn't anticipate. And that's just part of uh, manufacturing for original design.
0: Wow. So it's always and I'm finding that too, it's always uh hurdles coming up or you know, it's the first time that's products ever been made. So of course, you know, you're going to, it'll be a lot of challenges. Um, now this is also a very big question. How everyone has a a unique design or something they want to get produced. How do you determine, or can you tell if it's going to be profitable or if it's going to be a bad design? Like, how do you know if the product is going to do good or do bad? Or is it just a roll of the dice? Because every product, everybody has a good idea. Every, every idea is not going to be this million dollar idea.
1: I think, uh, I mean, I think there's two parts to that question. I think the first part is what I discussed before in terms of if you, before you do a product launch, you should be trying to communicate with your potential buyers as many of them as possible. Um, I think in the entertainment program, they say you have to talk to at least a hundred. And then after you as in, have to have one-on-one conversations with at least a hundred. And then if if it comes out 50-50, then you need to talk to another hundred. Um, so you want to see that the majority of the people that you talk to about this product are going to buy this product or are really excited to buy this product. I think that's the the one way you can sort of assure that that there is an actual demand for this. Um, I think from the manufacturing side of things, the best way to know if the product is gonna be successful is to try to get suppliers involved early in the design process. Um, There's one aspect of designing a product that looks nice and functions well. There's another aspect of designing a product that can be made, can be manufactured by a factory. Um, it's, it's, it's two different skill sets, right? Like it has to be practical for production in a factory. It can't just be, you know, something that if it's not, then you're either gonna end up with a lot of problems down the line or it's gonna be extremely expensive to make cause it'll have to be like, let's say handmade or cut by a CNC machine rather than being able to, you know, uh, mass, produ- mass produce it with a mold.
0: Um, can you give us uh, any products that you work with that are now like doing pretty good that the viewers can go and, and check out?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the Rider Buds. They had they were motorcycle headphones. Um, we just shipped those out. They had a successful crowdfunding campaign early last year, and then we shipped those out in January. Um, from what they, from what we've told, been told. Every, everything's good. The, the people that are using them are really happy. The only thing that stopped us from doing another mass production run has been COVID-19. Um, so he's kind of waiting. The owner of the company is kind of waiting to collect more feedback. And before we jump into another mass production. Um, what was the name of that a, product one more time? Rider Buds. Okay. They're like motorcycle uh, headphones. One of our longest clients is uh, Hella Fitness. Um, they do CrossFit equipment. They're based in Hawaii, um, so that's Hella, like H-E-L-E Fitness. They have um, it's. That's been an interesting one because when they first approached us, I think it was literally just like one or two guys who were selling stuff out of their, you know, their house, and they had like a gym, and now they have. The, and they were based in Hawaii only. Now they have a branch in Brazil. They have a branch in Japan or Korea, rather. I think they're expanding to Turkey as well. So they went from doing like one mass production every three months to like four production runs simultaneously every month. You know, it's like it's kind of crazy to see that that growth. Um, we've done we've done mass productions for uh Cirque du Soleil. um led led balls for Cirque du Soleil. Um, we also did some beach towels for the hamilton hamilton play which was kind of kind of random but um yeah we 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 worked with a a lot of big companies um so yep, yeah, that's just a, a couple of examples
0: wow that's very impressive very impressive um so a lot of my viewers they do have products and they want to get it made tell them what steps they need to go through to start getting their ideas manufactured most of them are uh who i talk to are original design
1: mm-hmm. well at what stage would they be at like just would they just literally have? Uh, like you know, either,
0: most of them don't have any designs or or bare minimum design
1: okay so i would say the first thing that i would do if i just had barely any design uh, I would see if I could try to get a product designer to make something simple, like a simple 2D or 3D mock-up. Not, don't even spend that much money. And then what I would do from there is I would start to try to communicate with uh, consumer potential consumers for that product. And obviously you can start with friends and family, but friends and family are always gonna, they're they're a little bit biased. So you really wanna go to wherever it is, whatever blogs, whatever Reddit, um threads whatever uh forums uh, or facebook groups uh, or linkedin groups that you know are relevant for your product go there and say hey guys i have a concept you know at least introduce yourself or get uh, ingratiated into the community but eventually be like hey i have a product what do you guys think of this is this something that you guys would be interested in do you have any feedback on the design or you know things like that and then try to take the conversation off of that um that group and then maybe try to get a one-on-one conversation whether it's you know via zoom or you know whatsapp or facebook messenger like just try to pick their brain and create you can even just create a google form have it be a simple you know three four five questions um you know give them like hey would you like it in this color and one of these three colors would you like it in one of these three materials um would you pay would you pay how much would you pay for this product would you pay 50 would you pay 70 dollars would you pay 100 those kind of things. and once you start to collect that data you'll have a better idea of how to design your product better uh you have a better idea of how much you could sell the product for so that you have a, a rough idea of you know how what are your maximums or minimums for mass production costs from that stage i would then double back with a designer and try to get an actual um, 3D rendering or CAD file produced, at least the initial one, and then I would start to contact suppliers, um, get feedback on the design, and you probably have to make some changes. As I mentioned, it's one thing for a design, and if, unless you find a designer that's familiar with the design for manufacturing process, um, it's one thing to design something, it's another thing for a factory to make it. So as soon as you have a decent design, I will start to talk to suppliers. And, and if you're confident that, you know, there's, there's a demand for that in the market, create a landing page so you can start to collect emails. Um, and then, you know, you start to go through the, the DFM process that I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast.
0: That's awesome. You basically just described uh, the, the beginning part at least was uh, primarily market research and doing good market research.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's gonna save you a ton of money. It's just the reason why most people don't do it is because it takes a long time, right? Yeah, to I was sit, just gonna ask to how, about
0: how long does it take to do that market research, or is it? It's just an ongoing process.
1: Well, I mean, it's an ongoing process, but I'm saying the initial conversations. I, I mean, that's hours, right? Like, because you're sitting, right. you're probably gonna sit in multiple forums and and uh, subreddits and you know, Facebook groups and talk to people about this product. And I mean, depending on how niche it is. You know, you could be talking to hundreds of people, you could be talking to 50 people. Um, and then the the more important thing, like I said, is you need to kind of have one-on-one conversations with these people. I think at the beginning, the like if you literally just have the concept, I think the most important thing would be to see if there is an actual interest in it. You don't necessarily have to hop on a, a Zoom call with a hundred people at that stage. I think at that stage you want to see would you buy this product? Yes or no? How much would you pay for this product? What aspects of this product design would you change? Or what aspects do you like? What aspects you don't like? That, that, those are like the most important questions at that stage. And then when you start to get into like really you know, discussing with the factories and, and creating prototypes and stuff like that, I think that's when you should start to have one-on-one conversations with your potential, potential customers. But yeah, I mean, it, that's just you sitting at a. No one else can do that, right? Like, unless right. you, unless you're, you know, some giant design company or some company like Apple that has a, a dedicated R and D team. Like, you have to be the person to contact a hundred different people and have those conversations and collect that data, and you know, so it takes time.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm just uh. I'm pausing this because I'm digesting the information. This podcast, yes, is a podcast for content and uh, information, but I'm learning as much as my uh, viewers and listeners, man. And I'm very honored that you agreed to uh, hop on the show with me. Uh, last question before we wrap this up would be uh, What's the difference between doing business in China and the
1: US? Well, I mean, I think – I'm trying to see how I can distill the answer because uh, I've talked about it a lot. I think I think the difference is in the U.S. – one of the main differences is that in, in the U.S. and Western culture as a whole, you if you want to work with a company, it, people make quicker decisions. They will do their own background research before they contact you. Um, you might have, if you're physically in the States, you might have one sit down meeting and discuss all the details, or you might hop on a, a phone call or a zoom call or whatever, especially now to discuss all the details and then send a contract and get started a couple of days later. Whereas in China, it's more of like, you have to develop a, a strong relationship before anything happens. So they wanna see you in different situations, they wanna see you in the factory, they wanna see you in an office. They wanna take you out to a restaurant. They wanna take you out to a bar. So so they, they really, really want to I would see, have thought like, the opposite. No, it's not. I mean if you're if you if you're actually developing a real relationship with the factory then yeah, right. like it's gonna it's gonna take some time. As a buyer, of course you can contact a, a factory in Alibaba and send them money the next day. That's that that can happen. But like, you're not really going to have a relationship. You're just going to be customer X. Uh, But if you want to develop a a good relationship with the factory, you do have to put in the time. Um, I think another aspect is uh, Chinese expectations versus Western expectations are quite different. So, you know, with the U.S., uh, you're thinking as the customer this company or this service provider is going to go above and beyond to make me happy whereas in China they don't look at it like that they look at it like yeah okay we want to make you happy but at the same time you need to like you know you need to respect me and you need to like not put too much pressure on me so a lot of times when things go wrong in China blaming the factory or getting angry with the factory kind of backfires what you want to do is focus on creating mutual solutions and 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 not necessarily making them feel like they they, they fucked up so badly whereas like obviously again in the, in the west like
0: they're losing if, a customer like, because you will lose a customer
1: yeah exactly in the west <laughs> if you if you don't like if you as a service provider doesn't you know jump up and say hey i'm so sorry and like you know we'll, we'll fix everything you know you end up losing a customer but in china it's like yeah well, this is how we do business and you have to adapt to to the way the chinese market works and um, and then, of course, the, lang- the language barrier, I think a lot of times people can think that Chinese people are very rude or uh, straight to the point, but a lot of that has to do with the structure of Mandarin. Like in, in Mandarin, as a, as a stru- in their sentence structure, there's very few conjunctive words, so they are quite direct in the way they speak. It has nothing to do necessarily with the, the, the culture, it's just the language.
0: Right. Well, that's been very, very, very insightful. Uh, and Rico, I'm like I said again, man. I definitely want to work with you on some future pro- projects. Uh, I have a lot of people who uh want who need your service, and I feel like I'm the perfect person to you know connect the the businesses. Um, and that's pretty much all the questions I have. So tell the viewers where they can find you at.
1: Yeah, so if you want to find me, that's, uh, you can go to SourceFindAsia.com um, slash contact us. Uh, my personal, my email is Rico at SourceFindAsia.com. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well. It's SourceFindAsia, all one word. And then the podcast is the Made in China podcast. How, you, how did you find us? Did you find us through the YouTube channel or the podcast? I found
0: you. I found you all through the
1: YouTube channel,
0: and when I found you all, you guys, I was like, "Oh, this is exactly what I need in my life." Let me let me see if I can get in contact with him. This cat seemed pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's it, y'all. That's a day in the life podcast.